You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Today on Earn and Invest, we have a special crossover episode recorded live at Camp Fi Southwest in San Diego. Joe Salcihai and I did this episode for both the Stacking Benjamins podcast and for Earn and Invest. I hope you enjoy. And now, two guys who are Camp Fi roommates. It's me and my special co-host from the Earn Invest podcast, Doc G. I'm Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. You are Doc G. Yes, I am. And we are so excited to be here at Camp Fi Southwest 2021. Make some noise, everybody. Okay, so let's talk about so far. I came in here and I hadn't drank anything the first night. So you didn't snore. I didn't snore. Of course, I know I didn't snore. No, no, Joe, you didn't snore at all. <laughs> and, and, but, but tonight, as soon as this done, it's board game night. So because it's board game night here at Camp Fi, I plan on having some of these. So good luck with that, man, because I'm going to snore my head off. Yeah. And you guys may not know, but I'm actually physically allergic to board games. So Joe has made it his quest here at Camp Fi to make sure I play as many board games as possible. I have. He's going to play a game called Acquire, whether he wants to or not. We're going to have a good time. All right. I'm so excited. We have our first guest, and these are people that I wanted to talk to for a long time. Becky and Steve, how are you guys? Doing great. Doing great. So when Camp Fi starts, everybody stands up one at a time and tells kind of their money story, and people tell different stories. And when you stood up, I think it was, Steve, was it you that, that, that spoke first? Yes. I think so. And Steve, you said you didn't start working on retirement until what year? Uh, it was age 50, so it would have been 2008. Yes. And you retired? In 2000, the end of 2018. So 10 years from zero to completely done. Net worth zero to retiring fairly comfortably. Can we talk about the beginning there? Why, why not start until age 50? Other priorities? Other not important? What was going on? We were stupid. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of that going around. There is, there is a lot of that going around. So who was it that said, you know, it's about time? I don't know that it was, well, it, it was sort of an emotional crash. I mean, we, things worked fine for us. We, we had decent salaries. And things were working until they weren't. 
And when they weren't working, then it, it got really bad really fast and it got very painful. So basically... What do you mean by that? Paint me a picture. What was going on? Stephen had been working for himself at home and that had been going fine until uh, a particular big event in his business happened. I didn't get paid. Oh. Yeah, he had... Con- that's, that's kind of a big event. Yeah. He had so con- it's Friday and your paycheck didn't show up? Well, it was, it was a client that quit paying me. And then when I finally realized what was going on, he was into me for about $50,000. Oh. And at that point, we were buying groceries on credit cards and everything was crashing around us. It, it was just, it was not pretty at all. I was very petrified. I, I was just scared to death. And Stephen was in a place where he was feeling like a failure, feeling like he had failed his family. He couldn't provide. And so it just wasn't pretty, and it it reached a point where it almost took our marriage down. Steve, tell me about that moment, because there are a lot of people who get to this point, right? Maybe they're in their 40s, maybe they're in their 50s, and something bad happens. And the truth of the matter is, there is a segment of the population who gives up, and then there are people who do what you did, which is say, okay, now it's time to get to work. What got you to that point where, as opposed to kind of Sitting down and giving up, you said, we're going to make this work. That's a good question. And I honestly don't remember what turned us around. But I do know that when we were in our darkest hours, we had church family, we had neighbors around us that were supporting us in ways that we never dreamed. We would come home and there'd be an envelope full of money. Your community taped, knew you were having trouble. Ta- yeah, taped to our, our garage door. You know, we had friends that would sponsor our kids to go to church camp or summer camp and things like that. And eventually, you know, the Lord got a hold of us and turned us around. And, you know, we found Dave Ramsey. I know everybody kind of disses those guys a little bit, but... I I don't know. I think there's a big (sighs) part of our audience that does not. I mean, we, you know, that, that got us turned around big time. We literally started listening to him on a set of cassette tapes that somebody gave us and eventually checked out some his videos from a church library that's close to was close to us and we eventually started teaching the class and you know it i mean we were walking the class wait a minute you went from being students of the class to teaching the class oh yeah yeah big time and because we, you know, it turned us around. Completely. What was your first move? Was it was it the the, the baby step? Get a get, get money in an emergency fund. Mm-hmm. That was step one. And cutting up the credit cards and getting out of debt. One of the things that helped a lot was Stephen went to back to a W two job, and he had reached a point where he was afraid that no one would hire him because of his age. And because of, you know, what had happened with his business. So he really almost felt like there wasn't anything out there for him. And a, a gentleman that was part of a, a business mentor group, I believe they were called the Silver Foxes, but it was a business mentor group. That's what they called me. <laughs> well, Cheryl calls me that. Yeah. One of the gentlemen from that group was talking to Stephen and sort of, encouraged him that, yes, he was still employable, and he actually helped him find a W-2 job. So at that point, when we had a a steady paycheck coming in, then that helped a lot to give us a feeling of stability. But a lot of people have steady paychecks coming in, and they're doing nothing with it, right? I mean, they're they're really not. So 
Did you use a system like, I know Dave Ramsey is every dollar, but there's YNAB, there's Cube Money, who's a sponsor of our show. There's all yeah, these different. Back then, those didn't exist. Yeah, just like envelope method. It was a, a mind shift, you know, an attitude shift towards money. And that's a big part of it is, you know, you make your mind up that I'm going to treat money differently. And that's a big part of what worked for us. And then we did the envelopes, you know, for budgeting. We did the budgets. We stuck with it. What did you cut? We cut everything that we didn't have to have. Yeah. Give me Uh, some examples. Oh, gosh. Story of the kids on the steps is the best one. Well, that's true. What's that? You put your kids out on the steps? (laughs) We put, a, we put a for sale sign I had on those them, days. That, I've had those days, but I don't think no. Child Protection Services is not your friend at that point. There were times when we, I would sit the kids down and say, if you can't eat it, we're not buying it. So don't ask. So, I mean, literally, we, we cut down to the bare minimums. We bought gas, we paid the bills, and we bought groceries. And I literally had white envelopes in my purse with cash in them. Now, most people, you know, even back then, I, I would have people say, aren't you scared to be carrying that much cash around? I'm like, no, it's, that's not that big of a deal, you know? So we went back to basics and, and just started taking those small steps to try to make something better for our future. So, Stephen, tell me when financial independence came into view, because it sounds like you started with Dave Ramsey, but... You progressed to start thinking about the FIRE movement. How did that happen? In 2017, our oldest, Stephen, said, you need to listen to this podcast that I've been listening to since the beginning of 2017. And it was Choose a FI. That's the wrong title. You meant Stacking Benjamins. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, That's right. I slipped you 20 bucks before you came up here. So we basically binge listened to those guys. It was the beginning of when they were doing their thing anyway. And, I mean, we were like going to graduate school in finance. And we were like, this is exactly what we needed five years ago. But now we have it. So now we have an idea of what we need to to go forward with. And at the time, I was in a nice paying job. And I had found my dream job. And so I had a pretty big shovel that I had been given to, you know, start saving and, and doing, but we knew what to do with the money. Yeah. You did shovel then. We did shovel. Yeah. And, you know, we cash flowed three weddings, three college educations with cash. And the kids graduated school with no debt, which they all really appreciated. I mean, they learned yeah. all about that. How great is that, on. by the way? Isn't that awesome? <laughs> And at the end of 17, we said we divorced our financial advisor and put everything into Vanguard, took a tax hit the next week, next year, but that was okay because I recouped it in six months. And in the spring of 18, I told uh, my fellow principals at the architectural firm I worked at that I was retiring at the end of the year. Bam. Bam. That's fantastic. So here we are. Big ham for Steven and Becky, everybody. Isn't that inspiring? I just think that I hear that excuse too often. I'm starting too late. But 
when you listen to Becky and Steve's story, you realize that it doesn't matter whether you're 50 or 60 or 40, you can start at any time. And I don't know, maybe financial independence is your goal, but really we can always do better tomorrow than we are doing today. You can always incrementally improve regardless of what your goal is. You know, Tony Robbins has a quote that I really like that they encompass, which is that the past does not equal the future. And it really is between our ears that we can make a change. We can just change it. We wake up the next day and we will do things differently. And they had the ability then later to have the shovel, but you still have to shovel, which is, which is great. And the cool thing about that is there's always this point where you go from thinking it can't be done to what's the next first step. And so I think they're a great example of making the decision to move forward and then doing it. And letting it roll. Yeah, good stuff. Well, so we're going around the circle of people again. So back to the beginning of Campfire, we're going around the circle. And there is this woman who's talking about Bali and talking about (laughs) Thailand. She's talking about living in all these cool places, working in international teaching. And we had to hear this story because so many people that listen to the show wonder, you know, whether it's whether it's during my quote retirement years or right now, can I do it? And what are some of the problems with it? Amy joins us. Big hand for Amy, everybody. So, Amy, I've had this discussion, I feel like, a million times. People tell me that when they retire, when they reach financial independence, they want to go travel the world. They want to live in Thailand. They want to live in Bali. You didn't wait. And you decided to go to those places right away. Tell us about it. How did you make that decision? Why go at the beginning of your career? Well, honestly, I studied what I loved, which was history. And getting a bachelor's degree in history didn't give me a lot of options. And my sister had taught abroad in Taiwan teaching English. And so I got a job in, in Japan teaching English. And I thought it would be abroad one or two years. My, my aunt said one year max, like she loves her mama. So I planned on one or two years and I, it opened my eyes to the whole world and I learned about international teaching. I could go back and get my teaching certificate and my, my master's and then I could go and work in international schools. So really I just planned initially for a couple of years and I stayed in Japan for, got my master's and, and just started teaching internationally. Once I saw how amazing the world is and started traveling, I really got bit by that travel bug. So that's how I started. Describe the first few weeks. I mean, you're in a foreign land. You may have language issues. You might not know where to change your currency. And you're at the beginning of your career. So it's not like you have a lot of fuel. Was it difficult? Not really. Like it was, I remember my like telling my mom that maybe I'll be depressed, maybe I'll get lonely, maybe it'll be really hard when I go over there and thinking like, you know, should I, should I take some St. John's word? Should I take something just to protect, you know, because you don't know, right? And I got to Japan and I just was, I just remember looking, you know, in Tenjin and looking at all the lights and just being so like amazed by the country. And I didn't really have a context for it. This is 2001. So I didn't really know that much about Asia in general and all the different Asian countries. Yeah, I mean, I felt like I I went abroad on this JET program, the Japan Exchange Teaching Program, and the Japanese government flew us over. They provided housing. You know, we worked in Japanese high schools. So it was so fun. Like, every before every class, they'd all stand up. Shitsure shimasu. Hai! 
and the whole class would stand and bow at me. I was like, this is cool. OG does that before we record in the basement. Oh, I would like that. Little known, little known story. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing like having a class full of students stand and like bow to you in unison. So, I mean, it was just such a cool cultural experience. And there was, it's a, a lot of people in, like, luckily I was living in a big city where there was a lot of other foreigners. So I really felt like I had a lot of support. And I could see, you know, maybe if you were posted in a small town, it could be harder, but I loved every minute of it. But what about the locals? You've got the expat community, but how did you interface with the locals? Was that more difficult? I didn't feel like where I was placed, it was. Honestly, I was, I mean, Japan is not really that rural compared to the U.S. Yeah. There weren't a lot of foreigners in my prefecture, but... I was in the the capital city of the prefecture, but I was still kind of a local celebrity. So everywhere I went, people were wanting to take pictures of me and, you know, come over to my house for dinner. Like everybody wanted to practice their English, especially if they had a few like cups of sake or, you know, at the party, like suddenly their English would come out if they had a little bit to drink. (laughs) But everybody was inviting me over to eat and wanting to talk to me. So I felt really welcomed. I, I, yeah, I had a great experience. What, what about, you talked about being close to your mom. You're halfway around the world. How did that affect your relationship? And how does it, because you've stayed abroad for long periods of time, how does it affect it still today? Yeah, I mean, my mom came twice to Japan. And she loves it. It's still her favorite country that she's ever visited. So it was wonderful. I, she was able to travel there. So I've lived abroad for 20 years. So when I went abroad, she was 60 and now she's 80. So now she's not able to travel as much, but, you know, she also had a lot of great experiences. And my sister came and my dad visited me many times in Asia. So it, it, I feel like, and when I came home, I had a lot of school holidays. So when I came home and I had a lot of quality time and I was coming home twice a year. So I still felt like I maintained a close relationship. So we are here at Camp Five. This is a financial conference. Tell us about the financials. Was it lucrative? To live outside the United States? Yeah, I mean, the job in Japan, I was teaching ESL, so the you know, housing was provided. The pay was, I think I saved $20,000 in four years, which wasn't that much money at the time. It was a lot. I saved it to go back to graduate school, and I traveled for a year before I went back to graduate school. So I backpacked around Southeast Asia and India, which was really, really cheap. I was like a budget traveler <laughs> at the time. But that was 2005. You know, it was a long time ago. So $20,000, you know, wasn't a lot of money, but it it helped me to like pay for my graduate school partially. So for people that want to do that budget travel, any beginner tips? I mean, I used to bargain and really stay in some not so nice places. I've always been a, a saver and that comes from some scarcity in my, like my family had money initially, like my dad had a good job. He was a, an attorney. But then my parents divorced and my mom and I didn't have much money when I was a teenager. And so I really learned how to save my money. Like I had to buy my first car. I had to put myself through my, my bachelor's degree, pay for my rent, pay for everything when I was in school. So I was a really good budgeter from a very young age. What about like currency exchange or, or paying taxes while you're abroad? Well, generally, if you don't make over a certain amount of money, you don't pay taxes. You know, there's a foreign earned exclusion. Foreign Armed Exclusion Act that you can, it's the 2555, you can claim exclusion on your foreign armed income. So you're not paying taxes on that income. Yeah. And then changing your money over? I mean, changing the money over is no problem. I just, yeah. I mean, sometimes like depending on the school I've worked in, some schools have paid me in dollars and they've 
sent the money direct to U.S. bank account. And sometimes I've been paid in the local currency or a mix of both. As you were talking about your parents and this idea of scarcity, I, I heard your voice crack a little bit. Do you think that played into your decision to become an expat to move outside of the United States? I think initially I was just going for the adventure, honestly. I think that it really served me. Like having, I did have a core wound around money and a fear of your money situation can change overnight because I saw that with my own childhood, like we had money and then suddenly, suddenly we didn't. So I always had this sense like my money situation can change overnight. I just need to save. So it was, it was a great gift actually. And I'm so, you know, I'm very close to my father now and I really thank him for that because paying for my first car, paying for my, you know, my bachelor's degree and working to pay my rent was a gift to learn how to budget. And I took school very seriously when I was paying for it. So isn't yeah. that funny how you paying for it changes everything? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Amazingly, I, I studied. I went to class. <laughs> yeah. I seriously, when I was on a scholarship at the Citadel, my grades were not that great. When I transferred to Michigan State, and uh, Spartans won today, by the way, when I, I just had to get that in for the record, we do win some games. But w when I transferred and I paid my own way, all of a sudden my grades were straight A's because I knew I was there. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And then I think once I also, you know, teaching ESL in Japan, I'll probably, you know, an answer to your question, Dr. G, was I, I knew that I could make some money abroad teaching ESL. But then when I learned about teaching internationally at international schools, that's when I really thought, ah, that's the better ticket, you know, because I can't really, as a teacher, it's hard in the U.S. to make ends meet, to save money. I got this sense, talking to you yesterday, or this morning, that you really have a plan now and you're you're going to settle down a little bit and be hopefully in a place kind of permanently over there, if not permanently. Yeah, I love Asia. So I've, I mean, I lived there 20 years and I, I bounced around. I mean, not quickly. I was most, every place I lived, I was for four or six years around that time frame. But when I moved to Bali, I really felt like that was home. And I found a community of people that I love there. And as much as I loved international teaching and as much as I loved living abroad and doing that life, when I, I took a two-year sabbatical, well, a one-year sabbatical that turned into two. <laughs> Weird how that happens. Yeah. And I, I just found life that was even better than international teaching. I was so inspired by the community of entrepreneurs and digital nomads there. I felt like... You know, I'd done a lot of, or I'd done a lot of traveling and traveling on my own, backpacking around, but like, I realized I really love a routine. I love waking up in the morning, going to yoga, having a pet, you know, having a community, not having a surface level conversation with new travelers every single day. Yeah. It wasn't about traveling anymore for me. It was really about living in a place and having a really good quality of life. And it wasn't very expensive. And it's a beautiful place and beautiful people. So back when I was a financial planner, you knew you would keep asking people, Doc G, about their goals until you hit on one that you knew was the real goal. And did everybody see Amy's face light up when she started talking about Bali? Like, does anybody doubt that that's the real place she wants to go? Like, her face just changed. And you'd see it in these meetings. You're like, yeah, I want to retire someday. Yeah, I want to. Oh, but I really want that boat, yeah. you know? And what I love about the story, too, Amy, is that um, it sounds like you grew up with some scarcity. You found your way through that. And when you did, you started looking at what your life design you wanted it to be. And clearly, it was moving to Asia but it's not like it just stopped there. You kept evolving. So you found 
first teaching ESL, right? And then after teaching ESL, it was the international schools. And now it's entrepreneurship. But it sounds like you found a way to grow and evolve in this place you wanted to be, as opposed to feeling more of the scarcity mindset, which would have told you, no, I can't do that yet until I get to a more stable place. Agreed? Yeah, I had a lot of fear. I mean, that childhood wound, like really, like it served me to a point. And then I hit that wall of fear. And I did the, I did the one-year syndrome. I really had to work through that. And I, I was super happy in Bali. And I went back to a job because of fear. And I was miserable <laughs> initially. Like I cried on the whole plane ride from Bali to Bangkok because I was only going back for the money. And I mean, the job is actually a pretty good job in a lot of ways. But, you know, when you've lived your best life and life is so short, like that's what I see, you know, like seeing, you know, my parents' health changing and just realizing life is so precious. Like we've been given this one opportunity, like even though you can have a really good life and a happy life, like live your best life. And, and I found that and I knew what that looked like. If I would have moved from New Delhi to Bangkok, I would have loved it international school to international school, but having two years in Bali, you know, being able to choose how I spend my time, being location independent, time independent, not being tied to a school schedule anymore was a gift. I think that's the lesson, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Big hand for Amy, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you. How great is that? I mean, it's just inspiring. It, it just goes to show you that uh, we can have these wounds and yet we can heal from them and we can learn from them. And, you know, you do have to take into account that life can be short and sometimes you have to make the right decisions now. Nike had a uh, phrase that they used before they had just do it. When I was, when I was a kid, I remember in a sports illustrated issue seeing this and it became my mantra and i real and i know why nike got rid of it cuz it's it's a little clunky compared to just do it but it was more about what amy was saying which is my issue which is feel the fear but do it anyway and i love that for me feel that fear but do it anyway says so much just so much Have you been listening to the Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast with Coach Carson? My friend and former college football player, Chad Carson, talks real estate in the most understandable and relatable ways. He has two types of episodes, one in which he interviews experts that tell you the tips and tricks. This is proof of concept. Real life people out there just like you and I who are making real estate work for them. And then he also has episodes where he breaks it down, tells you how to use real estate, goes through point by point and step by step how to get ahead. It is an amazing podcast. I highly suggest you take a listen. Look, if you're new to real estate, this is definitely the place to go. But if you've been involved in real estate for a long time, here's where you can sharpen the saw and learn more. Check them out at CoachCarson.com. Again, that's CoachCarson.com. It's the Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast. Take a listen. You won't be sorry. Well, now we're going to talk about some just amazing debt payoff stories. We hear both of these stories, and uh, I think this is going to be fun. Everybody welcome Crystal and Cynthia to the mics. 
Crystal, you paid off how much debt? $90,308. That's all. Just $90,308, <laughs> not seven, but eight. Eight. <laughs> yes. Yes. And what type of debt was it? I had a car, a massive amount of student loans, and a credit card. Wow. And Cynthia, how about you? Thank you for having us. And I had over $100,000, more like $110,000. $100,000. About. And, and I was going to say, not 100008 specifically. No. <laughs> yeah. And, and what type of debt was it? Student debt. Okay. Grad school. Grad school student loans. So let's talk about, Cynthia, while you have the mic, was there a time when the debt felt really overwhelming and you, you thought that there was no way? Because that's a, that's a lot of debt. Constantly, just throughout the whole entire process, just oftentimes overbearing, and it came in waves. For some people, there's just a low point where you realize that I've got to start turning the ship around. Kind of like Stephen and Becky were talking about, right? Was there a point that you remember where you said, you know what, I got to get moving on my debt payoff? Looking at it overall just did constantly make me sad. However, it wasn't a nice bearable spreadsheet. But there was one point where I realized I wasn't making a very big dent in paying that debt off. And I do remember it was about six years ago sleeping in my car at nighttime and then waiting for a 24-hour fitness to clear out before I'd go in and exercise a little and then take my shower. Were you, you were living in your car? Yes. I lived in my car for about three months and I had a job working in a nonprofit to, for sustainability and just doing what I cared about. Passion to save the world and help others with a sustainable seafood, but in reality, I had all this debt and I wasn't doing a very good job financially in paying my debt off. So it was a hard choice, but somewhere in there, I realized I needed to do this and I need to see it in a frame of this is an adventure and it needs to be done. Otherwise, I would have had to pay my bills with credit cards and I knew that that would be a spiral and I didn't want to start going into that area. So for three months, I sucked it up, made an adventure of it. I had one friend that had done it before too. So I didn't just do it jumping in, diving in. I, I did some research and, you know, safe places to do it because I am a small female. I'm, I'm Asian. So it's just not something that I, I was going to take high risk and like die for it. I was going to make it an adventure and research it first. I want to hear more of that story in a second, but Crystal, some of the same questions. Was there a time when it felt overwhelming and you thought that there's no way you're going to be able to make it out? For sure. I was pretty <laughs> head buried in the sand for a long time about my debt, but I think the tipping point was my car lease was up. So I had to figure out what am I going to do about a car? So I went to the dealer and, you know, they had to pull that credit report. And he slid it across the table and I saw just how much I owed on the paper and I was afraid. I took it home to my boyfriend and I just cried to him. Because oh, I at the end of the lease, you were going to have to pay this money. Yeah, to pay the money or figure out what I was going to do about a car. Oh, man. So that was the tipping point Do you point remember how much money it was? That I owed on the lease? Yes. I think it was about $11,000. Yeah. So it was a mess. <laughs> I remember on a car loan back when I was I was in a very similar spot. I remember a friend telling me when my car died, he goes, "Dude, they give a car to everybody. Doesn't matter how bad your credit is." I found out they don't. They don't. Yes. And we had to do all kinds of stuff for to get a car to drive. So that was the turning point was sitting there in the dealership. What was your first move then? What did you do? 
So what I did was probably not smart move. So I leased another car, but I realized quickly, okay, I've got to make a plan to pay this thing off. And that's when I got into Dave Ramsey, my boyfriend. Dave bought, Ramsey yeah. comes up, yeah. yeah. Uh, I got Financial Peace University for Christmas that year, and I just dove in headfirst. Yeah. And then step one, was it like Stephen and Becky, the, the some money in emergency fund? Yeah, save $1,000. Yeah. And what, what does that do for you? Tell me what that did to your psyche when you all of a sudden you now have $1,000 in a savings account. I realized I had never had that much money saved before. So it gave me a little bit of confidence to know that, okay, I can do this. Let me just keep chugging along. Yeah. Now, Cynthia, for you, first step in the plan to get to get rolling on the debt. Did you change your income? Is that what happened? My mind shift, not my mind shift, the way I thought about debt had to change. And also at that time, like I was also listening to Dave Ramsey and that's how I began my financial journey, but he was great for figuring out how to get out of debt. Later on, I did have to change my mindset and how to earn more money. But what really changed was realizing that I had to hustle and start killing and destroying that debt and just start carving away at it. And that's when I started so many side jobs in the Bay Area. Lyft driver, I have my own business. I had, I think, five jobs at one point and just hustled and hustled. Cynthia, did people your family, your friends, did they know what was going on? Not many. And I don't hope, I mean, <laughs> no, not many people knew. And I know that some people I could have just like dug in deep and just really gotten help. But the people that were closest to me, they themselves were not in a great space to help me out. And I knew I, part of me knew I needed to do this for myself and succeed for me to continue on my financial journey. I'm going to ask you this, Cynthia, and then I'm going to ask Crystal the same question. Was there shame? There was some embarrassment. I don't know, like deep shame, but I didn't want to broadcast it because I wanted it. It is my own debt. I got myself into the situation. I decided to go to grad school. This is not someone else's responsibility to dig me out. So I wanted to tackle it on my own. Crystal, tell me about this idea. Was there a feeling of shame when you took a look at that credit score? Oh, absolutely. There was deep shame. I was embarrassed. I just, you know, I'm a pretty intelligent person, but I just couldn't believe that I ignored the facts for so long. The next transition that I see people have is once the debt's paid off, keeping that momentum, right? Because both of you probably got to the point where you had some pretty kick-ass momentum going. And then changing that from uh, payoff debt mentality to now saving mentality. Tell me, did, did you struggle with that at all? I think for me, I'd lived so frugally for so long paying off the debt that I realized I wanted to invest in myself a little bit more. So on my bucket list this year was one, pay off the debt. I did that. Two was coming to Camp Fi. So I've... <laughs> um, then I started... So you can be yeah. on the Stacky Benjamin show. hundred <laughs> percent. Yes. Um, I also started taking guitar lessons. So just doing things to invest in myself. But also it's amazing to know that the money I was sending to Great Lakes is now coming straight to me. So That's so awesome. Cynthia, how about you? Things did turn around. Last year, I paid off and was net zero in August of 2020. So that was exciting. And my mind shift for hustling has changed as well. Instead of thinking, what else can I do to penny pinch? I've focused my energy to how can I increase my income at my professional job? And now I'm next thinking about potentially getting my first home, which is 
something I wouldn't have seen coming having lived out of my car. That's so, so great. That's different. What a change. I want to follow up when you talked about getting more money at your job, because studies show that people, bosses tell, say in these studies anyway, that they would give you more money if you would ask. Did you go and have to ask for a raise? Yes. And throughout COVID, there were times where the job I had, we would get overtime, but I had to ask for overtime. And being more Fixed, not fixed, having the mindset of fire and reminding myself that this is where I want to be, financially independent, instead of, I want to be great at my job and I want everyone to love me, I would make the effort to ask for that overtime. And that's what got me to here. And you got it. Aren't those great stories? (laughs) Thank you, Cynthia, Crystal, thank you for hanging out with us. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later... You have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Weren't those stories fantastic? Oh my God, they're amazing. And I can chart the difference in the Camp Fies every year. So I've been going now for four or five years and just the varied stories amaze me. Before we start that, because I want want you to tell us how it changed. Let me just tell you my first impression, which is bunk beds are badass. (laughs) (laughs) But, But besides that, I, I was amazed when Steven, who puts on this amazing event, went out in the middle of this this group of people. I thought we were going to have people talk for like 10 seconds, like uh, stand up and go, hi, my name's Joe. Uh, I have a podcast. See you later. Right? And it was going to be that. But people are telling these just amazing stories, like the sharing, the sharing that's happened here in the first 24 hours I've been here has been amazing. Yeah. The amazing thing about Camp Fi is that it is a place where vulnerability is fairly acceptable. So you have a bunch of people who have discovered what they think is this amazing thing about understanding their own finances, they're into financial independence, and they go into their own communities and try to talk about it, and they get blank stares and looks. People don't want to hear about it. How many t- I, I heard that a ton. Yeah. Like I want to be around people that have these same thoughts that I have. By the way, I was here for 10 minutes and we were joking about Roth IRAs. Yeah. I was like, these are, these are my people. And then they get here. Like, who knows a good Roth IRA yeah. joke? And then they get here. And it's like all of a sudden, they're surrounded by people who kind of get it. Yeah. And so what happens is those wounds that we all have, 
they come out because all of a sudden for the first time you're surrounded by people who are interested, who are like you, who feel like your people. And so it's a place where vulnerability becomes the norm and deeper conversations happen. So how's this changed over the past four or five years? Not Camp Fi, but just the, the even, well, Camp Fi and the fire movement in general. Where, what do you think? I think there's been an amazing evolution of financial independence. For one, we just don't talk about retire that much anymore. And that's been happening for years. But the variety of the people and their stories has grown. So back when we first started doing this, you wouldn't see people who were talking about starting in their 50s. You wouldn't see people talking about, I decided to forego the high income and move to Bali. You wouldn't hear these kind of stories because not that they weren't out there, but it hadn't really become part of this movement. So the movement has grown from let's make as much money as fast as possible, quit our jobs, and then do whatever we want, to saying let's take this knowledge and this shift in mindset and use it to do what we want now and yet still be financially savvy and build a stable future. I thought that Michelle Jackson today put a nice point on it with her presentation that there's really different ways to slice this. I mean, get where you want to go fast, but really her, her whole thing was enjoy the ride, right? Because we don't know what's going to happen later, but, but we're seeing people, I think, go, you know what? I don't have to do it the way that the original 5, 10, 20, 50 people did it. I can carve my own path. I think there's this real dichotomy that we thought was a stark dichotomy at the beginning of this conversation, at least for me at the beginning of the conversation, which was really in 2015, 2016. It was either you were on the YOLO bandwagon, you only live once and so you're frivolous, or you were on the delayed gratification bandwagon, which is work really hard, grind it out, maybe not enjoy yourself now, but you will eventually. And what's the change is, is that we're realizing it's not a stark dichotomy at all, that there are shades of gray, that we can both enjoy today as well as save and be savvy in the future. It reminds me there's, you know, growth funds, but there's this, there's this strategy, growth at a reasonable price, right? I feel like what you're saying is fire has become like YOLO with a reasonable money management system. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And, and the definition of reasonable price, what you just said, varies from person to person. And that's what we really see in this room today is for each person, the reasonable price is different. And so their path is going to be different. Yeah. Yeah. Your big takeaway uh, so far from Camp Five? My big takeaway is that even though personal finance is personal, even though we all do things different, there are common themes. And the two big things I think that really change are the big game changers is one is the change in mindset going from this can't be done to I can do this. And then the second is if you surround yourself by a community of people who understand and support you, just about anything is possible. And I think every person here, the varied stories, I mean, what did we just hear? I was living in my car. Yeah. I was 50 years old and hit rock bottom. I had these wounds from childhood and yet still took off and experienced the world. And that's the tip of the iceberg, by the way. The stories we had up here, we've, we've been hearing those all day and we're going to hear more in the next 24 yeah. hours. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think given the right fuel and the right support, uh, you can do amazing things. And that's what you all have shown me over and over again. And it just amazes me every new campfire I come to.
Well, thanks for doing this with us, Doc G. Uh, you're at the Earn and Invest podcast. What's coming up? When are we airing this? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Since we have no idea when we're airing this, what is coming up is that we are going to continue having these next level conversations, sometimes with panels, other times with individuals. But we are really exploring what happens when you figure out the math, when you learn the tactics, and then have to figure out how you want to live your life. So what should we have learned today? First, we learn from Becky and Steve that it's never too late to start. From Amy, Crystal, and Cindy, we learn that whether you're in debt or ready to roam the world, you can do it. But the big lesson? We're the best audience ever at Camp He stole my thunder. That wasn't what I had written down here, but that's kick-ass. What I had, what I had written down here was, don't give Doc G the top bunk, especially after three beers, because that ain't going to end well. <laughs> two, right. two, two and a half. Two and a big, half. Big thanks to Stephen Boyer for inviting us all to Camp Fi. For more on Camp 5, visit campfi.org. Thanks to all our fire-loving friends for hanging out with us tonight. we got to end this thing because now it's board game time. I'm Joe. He's Doc G. See you all next time. And that's a wrap. Welcome to the after show. It's always fun doing the silence live. The after hour show. Yes. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. For those of you that haven't ever seen or listened to a Stacking Benjamin show, what happens from here on out, we don't talk about. All right. It won't be in any show notes. You don't. T- if, if you, we've had it, people have had to tell some stories of things that happened during the after show. If you do that on social media, just call it dessert. All right. But don't. Nothing. So. I got to tell you what I love about this, and, and you brought it up earlier, which is that we've all done some pretty dumb things with money. And what I love when you said the word vulnerability is that we share some of those stories, but some of us maybe, and I'd love to get your stories if you have them, have done like some really dumb, hilarious things with money. And I've got the microphone, so while you're thinking of yours, I will start. And this is a little bit of a long story, so we might spread these out over a few different after shows. So here's the, uh, here's the setup. I'm at Michigan State. I'm paying my own way. I'm working three different jobs, and I'm taking on, and I got student loan debt, but I really, 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 really like this woman, this young woman. I'm the boys' track coach at this middle school that's local. She's the girls' track coach, and I really, we started dating. We've been dating for a little while, and it's getting serious, and I decided that I was going to invite her to go to Chicago with me. And I took all, all of, all of the, 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 the money that I had, and I found this really kick-ass boutique hotel just north of Rush in Division Street, if you're familiar with Chicago, where all the bars are. Yeah, they call that Viagra Corner, by the way. <laughs> Viagra Corner. 
They do. Why do they call it Viagra Corner? Because it's well known for men of a certain age oh. driving nice cars with oh. women of a certain age that is not the same oh. age as theirs. I was... <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I wasn't there. I was like 24. And Cheryl was maybe 22 then, right? So anyway, so I am I'm very excited because this hotel, I don't remember how much it cost, but I remember... I was used to stay in it like, you know, if it had the word super and eight, it was probably too expensive. So I'm all excited. So we pull up to this hotel. There's a valet and I see how much that costs. Like, I'm like, oh my God. And already I'm in over my head. We go to our room and we open up the door and this room is different than any hotel I've ever been in. There are terry cloth, terry cloth robes. Kind of, kind of like here. There are... <laughs> <laughs> And, and bunk beds? As, as long as you brought it. Yeah, there, no, there's no bunk beds. Yeah. One star, no bunk beds. And uh, uh, there's slippers, but the most badass thing is we're getting ready to go out on the town for the first night. Cheryl goes into the bathroom to get cleaned up. She comes back out, and I've got a Bud Light and some macadamia nuts. And she's like, where did you get those? And I said, well, this is amazing. There's this refrigerator over there. <laughs> And it's stocked with all this great crap. Like, it is amazing. And she goes, I think you have to pay for those. (laughs) And I said, I don't think you know how much I paid for this room. (laughs) I I don't think you knew either. (laughs) (laughs) So that that she sits down, so that she sits down next to me, and there's, there's like a football game on TV, and I grab her a beer. And so we have this great pre party, and we go out on the town. And we come back, and not only are there like little mints on, on, on the pillows, but they've restocked that damn fridge. <laughs> so the next day, we're getting ready to go to the museum. So I pull out drinks, and I pull out you know candy bars, get all that stuff. Of course, we get back, restocked again. We have, we have the best two days, like just these magical two days. And, and it was, it, it, it was a, just a phenomenal, phenomenal weekend. So we're getting ready to check out. And this is before, sadly, I'm I'm old enough that it was before the pre-checkout. Just call in, leave your stuff. You had to go down to the front desk and check out. So I'm, I, uh, uh, we pack our bags. Shell and I were like, this is just a phenomenal hotel. It was a phenomenal weekend. We had a blast. And we get our suitcases and we go out the door to the hotel and we go all the way down to the, to the elevator. Cheryl gets on the elevator and all of a sudden I realize, I'm like, go ahead and go downstairs. I'll be right back. She's like, where are you going? I go, I think I forgot something in the room. So she gets on the elevator. I go back to the room. I unlock the door. I go over to that fridge. I take my suitcase. I unzip it. I put it against the fridge and I take my hand and I put everything in the fridge in my suitcase and I zip it up. And so I go and I'm like, this is, this is great. This is, I mean, if, if they're restocking this thing, I'm going to get all of it. So, so we go down to the checkout line and I'm in the world's longest checkout line because everybody's checking out at the same time. And I wait and I wait and Cheryl's, Cheryl's over there and looking at me and watching as I'm in this long line. And I finally get up to the front and the nice woman goes, did you enjoy your stay? And I said, this is the best hotel ever. Mm-hmm. Like this place is amazing. And then she, she said, oh, that's great. Did you enjoy the mini bar? And I'm a very polite person. So I, what I wanted to say was, whose business of yours is that? It's not your, 
And I said, well, yes, I did. Very, thank you very much. And she reaches underneath the counter and she slaps this piece of paper on the thing. And she said, well, we have your purchases for the first two days. If you could just check out everything that you, that you took since then, we'll just add it to your bill. And I look at those macadamia nuts <laughs> and I see the Bud Light and I'm looking down the list of these just absolutely insane prices. And I hear this guy behind me because he's been in line as long as I've been, right? And he goes, and I just kind of look back and the woman leans forward and goes, everything okay? And I go, yeah, it's all right. It's all right. And I look at my bag <laughs> and I'm wondering if I can ask for the key back, right? And I look at the bag, and I kind of look at the guy behind me. I look over at Cheryl, and she's going like this, like shrugging her shoulders, like, what's going on? And I look back at the woman, and I look at the prices, and I look back at her, and I said, I had all of it. (laughs) (laughs) And she leans forward, and she goes, excuse me? (laughs) And I go, yeah, I had all of it. And she was super professional. Like her mouth only went like this for a second. Mm. And, and she goes, very well, just sign the bottom and we'll add it to your credit card. And this was back in the shaky Joe didn't know what he's doing with money days. And I'm just like, please go through. Please, God, go through. Mm. Yeah, I realized, Doc, that that mini bar wasn't free. You know, if you go to Mexico... It you, is free. And you get an all-inclusive room. Oh. You can have as much out of the mini bar as you want. I think you might have paid for it with the all-inclusive yeah, words. Yeah, yeah. But, but, yeah. But dumb then, money, but then dumb if, money story? But, Did but you make it? I don't know if I had anybody, anything to does top anybody got a, I was dumb. Amy's yeah, got come one. On. Okay, so I have a dumb money story about love as well. <laughs> so I spent many years single in Asia, and finally I met a guy. I really, really liked him. And, you know, I was traveling in Europe over the summer, and I was traveling with my girlfriend, and I got to talk to him kind of irregularly because we were traveling around. And then I was about to get on a cruise with my family, and I had one night where I could call him. And so we had an Airbnb booked. I went to the Airbnb, no Wi-Fi. But we were supposed to have a video call, and then I was going to be on a 10-day Baltic cruise, and I knew there was going to be no Wi-Fi on the, on the ship. And, you know, so I had a little bit of time because we checked in in the afternoon, so I went around to all the, like, cafes in the area in Denmark and asked, no Wi-Fi anywhere. Well, I thought, how much could it be, right? right. How much could it be? You know, you just, like, I had a cell phone that I had set up with Wi-Fi. I was working in India at the time. I had data from India. Like, you know, it's the signal up to a satellite yeah. calling a phone in India. Can't be that much, right? We talked for one hour video call in Denmark. And it was my last chance to connect with them for 10 days. So I really wanted to have that chance. And I remember the next day, like, then my family arrived and, you know, I got to see them. I hadn't seen them in a while. I would imagine at this point you kind of forgotten about it then. I kind of forgot about the yeah, call, right. right? Like, no big deal. One hour call. I really liked him. It was all worth it. Like, maybe it would cost $30, like I was thinking naively. Like, I can suck it up. One hour video call. <sighs> okay, so the next day, I remember I was sitting, waiting to get on the cruise, and I got a text on my phone from the, from the cell phone company I had in India. 
you won't even guess how much it was. You can't even imagine how much it was. <laughs> like, no one even gets close to how much it was. $28. <laughs> it was so much. It was so much. We should have had that, Mark. I was totally been the question. I was so shocked. I was so shocked. It was you. Okay, it was twenty eight hundred dollars. Twenty eight. No lie. Twenty eight hundred dollars. Was was he worth it? (laughs) No, he was not worth it. And I literally got this text before I was getting on this 10-day cruise around the Baltic. And I was, I was so shocked. And I had no time to, like, call the cell phone company. And my sister, like... I would have called him and said, pay for it. <laughs> my sister, the whole cruise, she was like, do you realize that you could pay for three cruises for the cost of that phone call. Yeah. Do you realize? And then she was yeah, always saying, rubbing it in. Yeah. She was like, she was trying to make me laugh, but she was saying, do you realize that this is like, you know, a 10th of the cost of my car? Do you realize that this is like one year, you know, it has so many credits of university. Oh my God. She's got the hammer. I know. <laughs> I know. She really rubbed it in, but it was, I mean, that was the like dumbest, ridiculous for nothing. That's a great story. Yeah, stupid. Thanks, Amy. Really stupid. <laughs> Anybody else? I'll note that at the end of Joe's story, he actually eventually got married to this woman. So it was, <laughs> that's right. There was a there was, there was a payoff. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, we got one more. We didn't have, we didn't have Joe's. Uh... What's that? You know what's funny is I blocked it out, but I, I think it was like two hundred and eighty dollars or something. Yeah. So like one tenth of Amy's? <laughs> <laughs> How can we know the microphone over there? <laughs> Andrea. Okay. When I was in college, one of the reasons that I chose the college I did was it had an amazing study abroad program. And one of the things I've shared a little bit uh, with people here at Camp Fi is that I totally want to travel like everywhere. So this was obviously something from before I started college. Well, when I was in college, I dated a guy, and it was right before I was at the point in school where you would typically go on your semester abroad. And he was like, but if you do that, we won't be able to communicate. And I was like, you're right, I shouldn't go. (laughs) So I didn't. But that's not actually my dumb story. You would have thought I would learn from that, that, you know, that relationship didn't work out. So I should have learned, you know, don't change your plans for a guy. (laughs) Never. So don't change your plans for a guy, guys, or girls. Don't do that. But the dumbest part is the next relationship I was in, um, his parents helped do a down payment for a condo that was going to be in his name. And I was at a point where I was receiving some benefits that were paying for education as well as a housing stipend. But the housing stipend was more than my share of the rent when I was living with his parents. But that was why they were giving us the down payment to, like, get out of their house. But it needed some work. So I had all this money saved. And I was like, oh, well, this is supposed to have been rent money. But I wasn't paying rent to your parents with it. So I can help you furnish and, like, fix part of the condo that we are now going to move into together. 
And that was about $14,000. Oh. And that is not my husband today. Oh. Hey, Joe, you know what this is? <laughs> I think that's board game time. It's, it's beer number three. <laughs> All right. On that note, thanks, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. All right, we're going to do a trivia challenge. We need three volunteers to do trivia with us. Who wants to, who wants to win some swag? What's the question? <laughs> That's half the fun, Mark. Who wants to? Andrea's coming up. Flynn. And we need one more. Nope. Even though he's wearing the University of Michigan stuff. What's that? It j- just at the last second, right? I, I, got, I got my wife texting me. You watching this? Yeah. We're going to ask a trivia question, and then we're going to go in order, and you're going to try to answer it. If you've never heard our trivia questions before on our Friday show, our Friday show, our contributors, our normal contributors are Paula Pant, Len Penzo, and OG, my co-host, and then... Well, different... <laughs> that's, that's right. We're, we're not going to take it that deep, Mark. Yes. But we ask you a question you probably won't know the answer to. And then whoever's closest is going to is going to win. So you guys ready? Okay. Lots of fire principles are based on Vicky Robin and Joe Dominguez. Classic book. Nice job, team. Your money or your life. And I lost my place. <laughs> and where is my place? Come on. Here we go. When Joe began, he was giving seminars based on a program that involved how many steps? Say your name and then give us your answer. Flynn, and I'm going to go with seven. Seven steps. Andrea. Andrea. And ten. And Ben. All right, so you got seven and ten, Ben. Four. So you think it's a, it's a four-step program. Ten-step program. Seven. And a seven-step program. All right. We'd, we'd love to tell you who's right, but we don't play that way. We'll be right back. Flynn, you kicked it off with seven. You're squarely in the middle now. How are you feeling about that guess? You taking home the swag? I think I got it. It's in the bag. Oh, that's... <laughs> wow. Uh, Andrea, 10? Seven wasn't enough? I'm so embarrassed because I just read the book. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, did they talk about the number in the book, though? I don't think they did. I don't think they did, so I think you're okay. okay. You look. And, and Ben, you think both of them were high. Well, yeah. I don't mean physically. I mean it's their four. numbers were high. <laughs> it's four. Yes. It wasn't a guess. It was, four. it was four. All right. All right. Here we go. Everybody ready? From the peanut gallery, what do you guys think? Who's, who's going to win this? Three. Wait a minute. Let's do this. Is Flynn going to win? Yeah. <laughs> Is Andrea going to win? Yeah. <laughs> Is Ben going to win? Yeah. All right, here we go. Once again, back to finding my place. Amateur. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Do you know what's funny that I did out in the hallway? I wrote the question. I did not write down the answer, but I know what the answer is. Uh, generally, we have this on, on, the, on the show, when we do it normally, we have this long, long BS way of telling you what the answer is. But the answer is, is that the seminars that Joe Dominguez did, that Vicky and Joe did, that they based their principles on, that, that were at the heart of your money or your life, which is really a lot of the reason we're here, there were nine steps in that program, Andrea wins. <laughs> 
all, all right, Joe, tell them what they've won. <laughs> you won? Yes. You, just give me your email and we'll get you some swag. Deal? You get to pick your favorite Stacky Benjamins t-shirt. We have a bunch of them. What's funny about Stacky Benjamins t-shirts, the best referral, the best thing anybody ever said about them. You guys know J.D. Roth? J.D. Roth said this. He said, I don't give a shit about Stacky Benjamins, but the, but the shirt is so damn comfortable I wear it all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, whatever it takes it put that it starts with a comfortable shirt it does. and before you know it they're like maybe i should check that podcast maybe out at some point i saw jd last week he's like someday i'll listen to a podcast <laughs> like all right yeah all right second half of the show ready three two one you care about your money of course you do so why aren't you listening to sofi daily this podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts. The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambie Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. <laughs> 